Welcome back to another episode of Inside the Yale Admissions Office. I'm Hannah, and I'm a Yale Admissions Officer. And I'm Mark, and I'm also a Yale Admissions Officer. Hannah, happy 30th episode. Happy 30th. This is really exciting. I know. It's been three years. It has been almost exactly three years since we had the crazy idea to start this podcast. We thought that it would be a good occasion Mm -hmm. to actually go back and revisit our very first episode. Yeah, I actually went back this morning and listened to that episode. It was so cute. Young Mark and (laughs) Hannah making a podcast. (laughs) We've come so far. Uh, But there's more to say because, you know, we went, I went back to that episode too. And I realized we we really kind of only skimmed the surface. And uh, we've also got some updates that we can talk about too. This is also very timely because as we were when we recorded that first episode about reading three years ago, we are back in the middle of reading a whole bunch of applications and even more than we were three years ago. Even more. So this year we're talking, it's January 2023 right now. And uh, this year for first year admission, we've received more than 52,000 applications. Yeah. Three years ago, we were talking about 36,000 applications. I know for most people that just sort of seems like a lot and also a lot. <laughs> yeah. It does make a difference. I will say, though, that what it means sort of for our staff at this time of the year is pretty much the same thing, which is that, hey, it's January, and that means all 25 or so admissions officers here, what we're doing all day, every day, is reading applications one at a time. Yes, exactly. The change in numbers has actually made such a difference for us that we actually switched up our process and added a new step. Yeah, so we wanted to tell you all all about it. This is a pretty exciting change. It's really the first kind of major change, I think, that we've made in the process in the last few decades. Mm -hmm. Um, And hey, I'll give you some credit, Hannah. This was all your idea. Yeah, you know, um, sometimes you have an idea and people let you uh, do it. So it's great. So it's been a little while since we've recorded. Part of that reason is that we've both been very busy. Hannah and I both have slightly different jobs here at the admissions office than Mm -hmm. we did a few months ago. Uh, Hannah's new title is Senior Associate Director for the First Year Process. Yes. So I oversee everything that has to do with reading and selecting the new class of first year applicants. And Hannah put together a really good proposal that she presented to staff this summer that we've adopted. That is all about adding a new step to our process that we are calling initial review. So we've explained before that we read files geographically. So we divide up the whole U.S. and then the rest of the world into 25 or so slices. And an admissions officer is responsible for reviewing those applications getting decisions on those applications through the committee process, and then connecting with the students who are admitted, which is obviously the most fun part of yes, all this. Yes, <laughs> yes. You get to see a student sort of go from paper person in the application to, you know, real flesh and blood when you hopefully meet them on campus at Bulldog Days, which is our program for admitted students in the spring. That part has not changed at all, right? Mm. We still have territories... We still read geographically, committee process, uh, all the same. For example, I still read for several states across the Southeast. Uh, Hannah, you still read for parts of Europe and for Africa. What's new is a step at the very beginning of the process. Every single file is now first reviewed by a senior admissions officer. And when I say senior, I mean the average years of experience for this team is between 15 and 20. Yeah, these are folks who've seen just individually tens of thousands of applications work through this process be presented to admissions committee, seen decisions roll out, all of that. Yes, they have seen it all. And in this initial review stage, instead of taking notes like we do when the area officer kind of first reads a file, what they're doing is taking a look at the file 
as a whole, sort of a bird's eye view and determining whether it's going to be competitive in the next stages of the process. So most of this review involves checking those criteria that we talked about in an episode a few months back. Mm -hmm. That episode was called, Should I Even Apply? Yes. And we talked about some, uh, what I called necessary, but not sufficient criteria <laughs> right. in, in very sort of, you know, technical, philosophical kind of language. Mm -hmm. Those criteria were basically things where we said, like, these things are not true about you. It probably doesn't make sense for you to be applying to a school that is as selective as Yale. So we, we identified six of those in that episode. Go back and have a listen to learn a little bit more and sort of get a better sense of these things. We said these six things need to be true. You need to have a very strong command of English. You need to have a strong and consistent academic record that's showing strength, especially in your most recent semesters. We need to see that you've stepped up to the plate for the academic challenge, whatever's available in your context. You also need to have academic and personal integrity. We need to see that your academic interests align with the liberal arts approach that Yale's offering. And we need to see that you have the maturity, independence, and interpersonal skills needed to live on a college campus with lots of other people from really diverse backgrounds. So if an initial reviewer looks at a file and sees that it doesn't meet that, these criteria, or that it's otherwise pretty clear that among the 50,000 applicants, this file is not going to be one that's going to be considered by the committee, the reviewer can go ahead and indicate that the file doesn't need a full review by the area admissions officer. And we should make clear that the initial reviewer, in this case, has access to the full application. The area officer still owns that file as part of their territory, and they'll still bring it through the committee process and be responsible for getting it an admissions decision. In practice, this exercise essentially is about sort of a single sort of branching mechanism. And, and Hannah, mm -hmm. you were very thoughtful and deliberate about putting this together, mm -hmm. where really we as initial reviewers only have two choices. Yes. <laughs> you open up this file, you take a look at it, and you're either going to say, this application needs an area review. This right. is strong. It's meeting these criteria. I'm not going to take the time at this moment to go do a full review of all the good stuff that's in there, mm -hmm. but I can tell this is a realistic candidate. Give this a full review. Yeah. And that that's that process is actually pretty quick, yes. right? Because, and it can be quick because you know you're passing it along for, you know, a full in-depth read. Whereas the process for identifying the students who aren't going to get that full read is actually slower because you want to make sure we're not missing anything important. That's right. And it has to be very clear that the student is really going to be weak in our pool and it's kind of our job as an initial reviewer to say so right exactly. and I, I think it's worth noting at this stage that this part of the process is really a product of not just the increase in volume that we've seen in our applicant pool, but also a real change in composition of the applicant pool. Mm -hmm. I'll say it sort of very plainly. We have more uncompetitive and sort of unqualified applicants in our first year admissions process now than we did, you know, not even all that long ago. So I started right. reading admissions files about 15 years ago. We had about 26,000 applications, just about half what we have now. Mm. And I don't think that this kind of initial review process would have worked in that stage, right? right? I think there would just be so many more of those applicants who would be so competitive mm -hmm. that it kind of wouldn't be worth your time to be adding this initial step because you just wouldn't wind up identifying that many students who weren't really competitive in the process. That has changed. Right. A lot more of our applicants, just as a percentage of the pool now, don't meet those kind of necessary criteria to really truly be competitive in our process. Most do. Yep. 
but a lot don't. A lot don't. And we needed a way to kind of more efficiently work our way through those files to make sure that we're giving our area readers more time to focus on the strongest applicants. And that part so far has been great. I think we as admissions officers I really appreciate when you're going through your area, now knowing that sort of going through one by one file, if it's already gone through the initial review stage, mm -hmm. every single application that we're reading is going to be strong and competitive. And we can really invest the time in making sure we're doing a full read, taking the kind of notes that we want to prepare that file for committee. And uh, this adds a lot more consistency to the process of reading. Right. So you're reading fewer in a day, but they are generally, you know, stronger and you need to dig in more. Mm -hmm. People ask us a lot, how long do you spend on each file? And the answer has always been that it depends. Yeah. And now with this new level in the process, it's, it's kind of even more variable. Right. Some files that are, you know, going to head to the admissions committee will get three full reads with long notes from different admissions officers. They might be heard in one or two or three committees, each of which might spend 10 or 20 minutes discussing the file. Like we really do invest a lot of time. Whereas those other files, if they're not meeting the basic criteria, it's going to be a pretty quick review process and they're going to get moved along. So that's initial review. And then kind of the rest of the process going forward is very similar. So three years ago, we introduced the idea of reading. Yes. <laughs> it is It is the core component of our work. It's probably, uh, well, I don't know. I, would, I was about to say it's the most interesting thing, but I think committee is actually maybe the most interesting part mm. of our process. But these two go hand in hand. Right. And it's something that I think all of us as admissions officers just love. I don't think you can be an admissions officer if you don't love the process of reading a file, opening it up, yeah. meeting a student, getting to know them in their context. We gave some initial overview of that process, but today we want to go in a little bit more in depth. Right. So let's say that a file has kind of cleared that initial stage and moves along to the area reader. It's now that person's job to read the application front to back and make notes and ratings along the way. These notes and ratings are designed to serve as a shorthand for the committee process where a decision is ultimately rendered on a file. It's really important to note that these notes aren't a rubric. And on their own, they're not going to tell you very much about why a student was admitted or denied. The entire process of writing a work card is mm -hmm. des designed to sort of prepare for a committee discussion. Right, exactly. In that first episode, by the way, we had fellow admissions officer and gymnastics superfan John come on, <laughs> yeah. and he talked about how Olympic judges score gymnastics events. And we brought that up because it's so tempting to think of our review process that way, but it's absolutely not. We brought up as like That's a right. contrast. That's a contrast. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So that whole system of, of ratings, um, you're, you're going to be inclined to think of things that way, and that's just not how it works. When an admissions officer is reviewing an application and writes a work card, they don't create a score sheet. You know, it's not going to get fed into some algorithm that averages things up and then sort of tells us, okay, here are the top performers. Think about this more like uh, notes that a lawyer might jot down before arguing a case in a courtroom, right? That lawyer is going to want to say, okay, here's the evidence I want to present, exhibit ABC, here's some context for understanding the case. And essentially, here's the argument that I'm going to make. That's what you'll find in a work card. Yeah, it's really designed to summarize the contents of the file, identify where the officer thinks it's relatively strong or relatively weak, and give an overall sense of how the file stacks up in our larger applicant pool. 
So remember, we don't make decisions with just a work card or just the ratings. Mm -hmm. If you were to see a work card for your application, and we'll, we'll share some sort of examples of work card text in, in just a minute here, you know, it, it wouldn't give you a lot of new information. It would pretty right. much just summarize what you already put in the application. Yeah, exactly. And it wouldn't give you very much insight into our process and why you were or were not admitted to Yale. Right. The committee is where the magic happens. Right. So episode two. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> After you listen to episode one. Go back and listen to episode two, all about committee. So should we talk about the individual parts of the work card and, and how we work through them? Let's do it. So okay. when we open up a file, we have all the different components that you've heard us talk about before. We have the pieces that a student has put together in typically the, the common application, the QuestBridge application, or the coalition application. That includes your activities list and your personal statements, some answers to the Yale-specific questions that we put together. We're also going to have your transcript. We'll have your teacher recommendations. So when we open up a file, we also open up a little form, that, which is where we kind of take our notes and, and write our work card. And we'll be taking notes kind of as we go. So the first big thing that we have to notate is what you're involved in, your extracurriculars, which we call uh, your EC box on the work card. We'll read through your activities and your honors section and pull out the most meaningful commitments or awards. And the idea here is to summarize these so that when it comes time to committee, we can present this quickly just with our notes rather than having to have have all five members of that committee pull up your application and read through every item. Right. So, you know, a quick example of this might be something like a student is varsity swim captain, a student government rep went to summer governor's school for Spanish, is on the math team and does some regular service through their honor societies. Yes, very basic. Except if you were to see that in actual writing, everything would be abbreviated yes. and it would be very hard to decipher. <laughs> I realize that that would not communicate very clearly on the podcast. Yeah, what exactly. you just heard, imagine that sort of scrunched up into maybe half of the number of characters you might imagine. And the yes, actually we all have our own special way of abbreviating everything. And remember that the work card is designed to be read in committee. So we really want to set the stage here for committee to help explain where a student lives, where they go to school. So an example of that, the student is from a very small town, only 1500 people. Mm -hmm. That's three hours from a big city. Right. Or we might say something like the school offers both AP and IB courses. A student is in IB diploma program. It's really right. just kind of setting the stage. Yeah, we want to orient those members of the committee who might not really know anything about their school or even the sort of the, the state or the country. All right, next up are the notes that we make about a student's essays and uh, short responses to our Yale-specific questions. These are really quick summaries of just what you chose to, to write about with a pretty quick sense from the reader about what might be particularly strong or weak about an essay. Mm -hmm. So an example of this might be something like E1, That would that's our little shorthand for the first essay. Mm -hmm. Probably figure that out. <laughs> uh, E1 on lessons learned from starting a podcast with a friend. Mm. There's good reflection and insights here about collaboration and creativity. Yeah, like, we usually... That would be it. Right. That's it. And it's, you know, a line about the content and sort of the reflection or like what themes might come through in the essay. Yeah. Pretty, pretty quick. And then we also might note things like the AAYY or STs. Those are other abbreviations that you might have heard us use on they the were podcast on, on before. Lingo Bingo. Lingo I think they bingo. May, I think there were squares on Lingo Bingo. These are all of our short answer questions like, why did you apply to Yale? Or the short takes that we have you fill out on the application. And if something stands out in those sections as strong or insightful or surprising or funny or concerning, we might note it in the work card. 
we also might not and yeah. just, you know, skip through that section. All right. So next up are these letters of recommendation. And our shorthand here is T1, T2, and CR, meaning the first teacher recommendation, the second teacher recommendation, and a letter of recommendation from your counselor. Now, if you can think about uh, what these letters might look like, they're typically one to maybe one and a half pages. There's probably 500 or so words of text in a typical letter of recommendation. Mm -hmm. We're going to try to condense that down, again, for the sake of the committee, to pull out the most salient notes and kind of descriptors that a, that a recommender used, and also give uh, the committee a sense of maybe how strong or, or even just generally helpful the letter of recommendation is. Yeah, exactly. So for example, we might say T1, AP Physics, says impressive curiosity and consistently strong contributor to discussions and group projects, a top performer who improved the classroom environment for everyone. Yeah, or maybe a counselor recommendation, we might say like CR says teachers gush about her in the faculty lounge. She's a visible leader on campus that younger students admire for her activism on important topics that have initiated meaningful changes in the school community. These aren't the only important pieces of information that we glean from this letter. They're just the ones that are going to help us kind of steer the committee discussion. And committee might say, oh, that thing you said about the AP physics teacher was interesting. I want to read that whole letter. We'll oftentimes write something just as simple as see this as a signal to the committee. I know oftentimes right. if I come across a really fantastic essay or a really impressive letter recommendation that just has a lot of content and substance in it, I kind of know I'm not going to be able to capture yeah. everything that's important in it. I might pull out a couple of things, but just sort of say, you know what, the committee should really just pull this up. You're going to want to read the whole thing because there's a lot of good stuff in here. And then we end things up with what we call a tagline or just kind of a, a quick sentence or two that gives an overall summary of the file. Yeah, this is sometimes called the gestalt, which mm. is uh, loosely borrowed from a concept in psychology. I think if there's any psychologists listening to this, you're going to say, yeah, you got that totally wrong. <laughs> right. But it's one of these things that just sort of stuck around for a while. This idea in psychology is connected to the idea of, of kind of capturing the basic essence or outline of something. Mm. And so it's, it's designed to really give a sort of one line sort of overview of what the area officer thinks the case for this student is. You can think of it as the answer to the question, why is this file being presented in committee? And keep in mind that the committee is already looking at the academic information and the rating. So this is more just sort of a summary. So I actually went back and found a tagline for a student who applied years ago that I thought was sort of a, a good example of a typical sort of thing that, uh, that I might write out for a case that I'm excited to present to committee. I said, I find his part impressively mature and reflective. This is a consistent file for a compassionate and self-aware young man who stands out as a value-added community member. Like that was my sort of in the moment take. And then when I presented it to committee, I read exactly those words. Yeah. And I think your use of the word consistent, when you say this is a consistent file, is a good demonstration of the tag is really summing up what we see across all different parts of mm -hmm. the application from the student's own essays, to the teacher recommendations. Yes. We know that each student is greater than the sum of their parts. Right. Right. <laughs> and so even though we're going to identify a few parts and highlight them, we want to zoom out at the end and sort of give the overall picture. Yeah, exactly. Let's talk about ratings now. Yeah. Okay. So this draws a lot of attention, understandably, yes. because again, it's your natural inclination to think about this like someone judging a gymnastics routine. Right. And we use some numbers in our process, but these are used as a kind of shorthand to mm -hmm. promote discussion. Again, it's not a rubric. Nothing's averaged out. Nothing's summarized. It's just designed to sort of quickly capture 
how strong different parts of the file are in the area reader's opinion and sort of at the larger picture showcase where the strengths in the file might lie. Right. And these numbers really serve to kind of point the committee's attention to certain pieces in the file to really see the file's strengths. And these are things that, as we talked about in that committee episode, that print on our our paper slate that folks have access to. This is a thing that I I said is sort of like reading the Matrix. Yeah, Hannah, have you seen the the Matrix yet? (laughs) It's been three years. Never heard of it. Still haven't. Still still haven't haven't watched the Matrix. It's like part of my persona now. I, know. I can't watch it. I think it. We, folks, uh, podcast listeners need to start an online campaign to change this. So we, need to, we need to make this happen. I'm going to have to see a lot of signatures. But anyway, imagine a whole bunch of numbers and it's kind of a code that once you've been around for a while, you kind of know how to read. Uh, and these different numbers give you a sense of sort of, okay, is the strongest part of this application maybe to be found in the recommendations or maybe is the strongest part of this file to be found because they have some really um, impressive extracurricular contribution. So we use a couple of different numbering scales. Mm-hmm. None of them make much sense, honestly, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we've had them for a long time and we're yes. kind of stuck with them. So right. when it comes to things like um, your extracurricular activities and your letters of recommendation, we use a nine point scale. So nine is the strongest, one is the weakest, In practice, we primarily use the middle of the scale. You're almost never going to see something that isn't a four, five, six, or seven on a printed slate, even across hundreds of applications in a typical day. Yeah. So for example, when we're rating your extracurricular accomplishments, we occasionally see some super, super extraordinary extracurricular accomplishments like an Olympic medal. So we reserve those top, top ratings for something like that. Most people are going to fall in that kind of middle range. Right. We also read some really extraordinary letters of recommendation that give some amazing details about how a student transformed a learning environment and was like absolutely singular in an educator's career. And so we'll reserve that eight or that nine for that kind of letter. Yeah. And by the way, the bottom of the scale is almost never used for for recommendations unless a teacher wrote to say like, I really don't recommend the student for XYZ reason, which is, you'll be relieved to hear is very rare. Extremely rare. Yeah. Yeah. I've never seen someone use a one or two. I think it would have to be something like this student vandalized my house. (laughs) (laughs) Why are they asking me to write this letter? This was a mistake. Exactly. Um, And then we use an overall rating on the file, which is uh, just to keep you on your toes kind of oriented in the opposite direction on a one to four scale with one being the strongest yes and one is reserved again for the tippy tippy top some officers work for years in this office and they never use it right right (laughs) and and this is mostly a reflection i think of just kind of knowing how tough the committee process is like all of us have had the experience of seeing really really strong students just not make it and not be admitted. And so we're, we're reluctant to often use that tip-top rating because all of us can kind of imagine even really extraordinary students just for one reason or another, mostly just because of the strength of the pool, mm-hmm. ultimately not being um, admitted. So one is pretty rare. Mm-hmm. Then we have a whole bunch of flavors of two. Right. And this isn't really a four-point scale. It's That's more right. like a seven-point scale. Yes. The sky is a four-point scale. Someone who is a statistician listening to this could maybe suggest a better way to capture this than what we have. Yes. We have a number of different flavors of two. You could be a two plus, a two plus plus, mm-hmm. a two minus, just a regular old two. Well, yep. These distinctions aren't going to sort of mean a whole lot to you. Really, most of the files that are going to be considered in the committee room are some flavor of that too. Right. And whether we have a plus or two pluses or a minus on the file is just kind of an indication to the committee that in the context of the applications I've read, this is where the student falls. Right. So you can sort of think of the two 
two is being a place where admissions officers say like, this is a strong candidate. This is a student who's got all the pieces in the, in the right place. Depending on how the cookie crumbles, this student being admitted to Yale sort of makes perfect sense. That is just as true for a file that's getting a two minus as it is for a file that's getting a two plus plus. Mm -hmm. uh, the gradations are really just kind of our sense of urgency and kind of relative strength from our perspective as the area admissions officer. It's a very silly system, but if <laughs> yes. you if you yes, kind of is. think about it in terms of like the strength of the applications that we review, of course we need a lot of different ways to say this student is a competitive applicant yeah, for Yale. Yeah, that's a good way to put that. Um, so instead of having you know a real you know seven or eight point scale, we have developed these other kind of kind of shorthands. Yeah, and then we have a three and a four. Both of them are saying that sort of, you know what, among our tens of thousands of applicants, this is just not one that's going to emerge. It's really signaling to the committee, I don't think this student needs a discussion uh, at the committee table. It's gonna be pretty straightforward that they're not gonna stand out. So the steps that we just described, um, we go through over and over and over again yes. as we work our way through the process. It's funny, we've just talked about what we've basically been doing, you know, just with our, our mouse clickers and our keyboards and our, and our minds just thousands of times over and over again over the past few months. Yeah, and reading is it's really just the first step, right? Um, as we've said before, the magic happens in the committee room. Right, one of the things that we love about this time of year in reading is coming across a file that's really strong strong and exciting. When we read that though, at this stage, we're just excited because we know that we're gonna have to present that student to a committee, right? Like mm -hmm. sort of exciting, sort of, I'm, I'm gonna get to share this. Right. Not, oh, I know the student's going to be admitted like it's done. It's like, ooh, there's a cool case here. This is gonna be an interesting discussion. I'm excited for that next step. Yeah, and first you get to share it with a second reader, right? Mm -hmm. Someone who's, who's also gonna sit, through, sit alone and read that file in full and make some comments on a second work card, which is always really exciting. I've been doing second reads a lot this week and mm -hmm. it's cool to read the files that your colleagues have said oh I'm so excited about this one that process of doing a second read on a file is very similar and the reader will give ratings in those different areas but rather than sort of documenting okay first essays about this teacher one says this they are really just sort of capturing that overall gestalt that right. overall tagline and giving their sense of things and we deliberately ask those readers to do a full re review of the file before they read what the first reader wrote about it. So we really want to get mm -hmm. sort of their kind of pure sense of the file without that context. And it's a nice balance where you get someone who's got the area context and then someone who maybe doesn't know the area all that well, but can put that student in the larger context of what they've seen in their areas and doing all kinds of other outside reads as well. Often we agree with each other on the strengths of different files, but sometimes colleagues and maybe the faculty and deans who sit in committee may disagree or have different takes on the same applications. Yeah, this is what makes the job interesting. You get to bounce your opinion and your take of things off of other people um, and right. sort of see what they think about it. And no one has a kind of veto vote and right. no one has a sort of, um, you know, you proceed directly into the class vote. Even the dean of admissions uh, gets outvoted in uh, committee when he's when he's got a vote at the committee table. Mm -hmm. I yeah. think it's a good thing. Yeah, right? totally. You know, not no individual one of us is going to be able to sort of predict the future or know everything about an applicant. We're going to make better decisions by getting different people with different opinions and perspectives together in a room and trying to hash it out and trying to reach consensus. Congress could learn from us, I right. think. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> our process works, even though it uh, involves plenty of disagreement about things. 
Definitely. Well, maybe we will revisit committee again in a future episode. Mm -hmm. Remember that the notes in a work card that we've been talking about serve as sort of an incomplete artifact with a Mm -hmm. file. It's a combination of index and maybe a blurb for a book. You know, it's designed to accompany the book itself, not to stand on its own. Right. It starts that committee discussion and then the committee has the benefit of reviewing the entire file itself. We never actually go back and say, okay, you know, what was that? You know, read the work card again. We say, let's go to the file. Let's go see what Let's go read that essay ourselves. Let's go read that recommendation. Yeah. Well, Hannah, hey, it's been great fun making 30 podcast episodes together. Here's hoping we've got uh, 30 more in us. You think we've got it? Yeah, I think we can do that. Let's do it. All right. Well, thanks to Reed for lending us his office. Thanks to former admissions officer Andrew Brick Johnson, who composes our music. You should check him out at andrewbrickjohnson.com. If you have comments or an idea for a future episode, drop us a line at yaleadmissionspodcast at gmail.com. And finally, remember that the views expressed in this podcast are ours and don't necessarily represent those of Yale University. Thanks for listening.